For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Here to talk about the defense, I'm using air quotes here, uh, against the Bengals. And uh, join me here is Mike Fast, uh, coach at Towson High. He's the defensive coordinator there. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me. All right. Always great to have you on the show, Mike. You've been around Baltimore football for a long time, and, and this is always fun to have a conversation with you. Really an awful loss, uh, very difficult to watch. Uh, I think we're, we're coming out of this with a potential – long-term rivalry between these teams. Uh, you know, I, I grew up with the White Sox and the Orioles hating each other. And then we grew into an era where the Mariners and the Orioles hated each other. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the Steelers and the Ravens have always kind of hated but respected each other. Uh, I think this is this is going to be more of a hate thing with the Bengals, at least for a while. Yeah, I think so, too. And it's interesting you say that because it was only the Steelers, as, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned, when the schedule comes out in April. That's the game I'm always looking for. And the Bengals were kind of, you know, it's going to be a hard-fought game. We win more than we lose. But I tell you, man, I, I, even just reviewing the film today for uh, for this, Joe Burrow is is going to be a problem for a long time. And not before this year, which, um, you know, kind of reminded me of that Jamal Lewis here against the Browns. We had 500 rushing yards mm-hmm. in two games. Burrow, I think, put up almost a thousand in his yeah, two games. Yeah, 900 and change. Yep. So it's <laughs> um, 
And then his core of wide receivers, who, if they stay together, remains to be seen. They are um, dynamic, and they'll let you know about it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be really intense for years to come. Yeah. I get the, the two younger guys, Higgins and Chase, will be together now for, I guess, three more years. I think Higgins is a second-year mm-hmm. player, not a third. But anyway, with uh, yeah. Boyd may or may not go, but I think they'll find another guy who's like him, and they'll be able to do okay with a third receiver. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a scary group. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be dangerous the way the Lamar Jackson Ravens were uh, and are still until they have to pay – Burrow, you know, a, an amount of money, and then they have to make choices about who they can't sign mm-hmm. because of that. So they've they spent a lot of money in free agency, by the way, this team. So it is built to win now. It's not a, it's not like they've waited to, you know, be really careful with the money. They spent a lot of money during Burrow's, you know, second year here on players like Hendrickson and others uh, to 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 make this work. Mm-hmm. You probably noticed this on the on the sideline and, and press from your coaching backer, and you, you'd realize this is a little weird. But Harbaugh, DaCosta is often on the Ravens sideline, mm-hmm. uh, at, at least for some point in the game. I noticed him a couple of weeks ago. He seemed to be underdressed. That was the thing I noticed. He's, re- he's wearing a hat, but he doesn't seem to be wearing you know the kind of bulk up top clothing yeah. you would expect. Which is you know that's not, not the point I want to make. The point I want to make here is. Harbaugh and, and DeCosta were having a conversation on the sideline during the game. That is weird. That's not what I expect to see my head coach doing during a football game. It's certainly unusual. I mean, we know they uh, they obviously uh, have a really good rapport. They are literal neighbors. Their offices are next to each other at the castle. So, um, you know, as, as most successful organizations would have it the decision maker or the the head of hr whoever and then the person that's actually managing the employees they need to work together otherwise it won't work in the long run Mm -hmm. so the ravens this year notwithstanding um have been solid in that department to have to see to see that during a game is 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 strange to me too and you know i've I'm sure I've seen them maybe walk off the field together or make some mm-hmm. comments as the game's over. But in the game um, is a bit weird. Now, of course, it, maybe it's happened before. The camera might not have caught it, but right. it didn't help that the Ravens' defense was getting carved up, and then you see that. So, right. so uh, that, I, that's exactly I, I what wonder I drew what from they it. said. It's it's uh, you know there's a few different possible topics of conversation. Obviously, we could speculate on, but it is the kind of thing you wonder: Are they talking about how do we how do we change our cornerback situation now? Are they even making some discussions in game about taking players out? Because the Ravens made a number of moves mm. in this game that were both 2022 moves and the remainder of 2021 moves. And I want to just go through some of these because I think this is one of the big stories from this game. Is is what they did. And obviously the, probably the biggest one is the use of Calais Campbell in the game. It's very limited. So, you know, he played, I think seven snaps, six of them after penalties. I think, Hey, it's kind of hard to decide whether he had eight or seven snaps when you, when you consider himself running out the field on the 12 men penalty and whatnot. But, but in any case, you you understand where I'm going with this, Mm -hmm. Um, that, that he's him being taken out of the game uh, or not playing, uh, was a little odd. They used him a little bit as a pass rusher. They retired him early. I don't believe he played at all in the fourth quarter. Let me just confirm that here. He played on the first drive. Nope. He played his last snap on the last last Bengals play of the third quarter. Lamar Jackson didn't make the trip to Cincinnati. 
Malik Harrison, interesting case there. They dressed only three inside linebackers, Bynes, Squeeze, and Thomas. They dressed three outside linebackers, Bowser, Ferguson, no way. And Malik Harrison, who's practiced at both positions, didn't get any time. Thomas got time. Bowser, Ferguson, no way all had fairly heavy workloads. Mm-hmm. But Malik Harrison didn't play. Yeah, that was actually not as surprising to me. Uh, kind of going with your point that perhaps it was um, looking forward to the next a couple of games where you look at, obviously with Cooper Cup, uh, who may get some MVP votes, if not offensive player of the year votes. He's obviously one of the Rams' very best players. But the strength really of their, besides him, of their offense is their running game. And Sonia Michelle's doing very, very well, 25 to 30 carries a week, and doesn't seem to be slowing down Najee Harris week after that. And you want to make sure Malik Harrison's ready for those games. Whereas, even though Joe Mixon's a very good back, uh, as we'll get into, the crux of the Bengals' offense uh, makes you you put your best pass defenders on the field. So him being inactive doesn't surprise me if it's for looking forward to these next two games. Clay's Campbell, um, you know, the – the one bright spot to me was the defensive line, and Joe Mixon got some good rush yardage, but overall, particularly early, but overall, it, it wasn't a game-breaker, and they made some plays, if I can recall correctly, that it, it was it was a three-yard stop or a two-yard stop, but those were on second and one or, or third and two. So the Bengals converted, technically, but... Mm-hmm. For a lot of the game, even though the Ravens like didn't have a lot of pass rush going because they had to play a lot of nickel and dime and so forth, the defense line played really well. So maybe it was a situation where Campbell was kind of coming back and his replacements were playing well enough. But yeah, those are two guys that if they're healthy, you definitely want on the field. I, I I think they 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 decided that they could only use Campbell as a situational pass rusher because that's where he saw him for three quarters. So I, I think they they just decided they're going to limit his snap count and do whatever you want to call it coming off this injury. But I think the point I'm making here is that is that there's two things they were doing. They were looking at 2022, and maybe that's some of the conversation between Harvard and DaCosta. But also they're looking at the 2021 last two games and saying we're not going to win this game against the Bengals. We're way too shorthanded. We need to figure out how to get through this game maximize our chances to win these last two games, which effectively will give them a playoff berth. Now, I haven't looked at the Miami score currently, uh, but but uh, in any case, if, if Miami loses that game, I believe they still control their own destiny with two consecutive wins to make a, to get a wild card. And Miami has to lose one more game, so it's not this mm-hmm. one necessarily they have to lose. Coming out of this, I mean, yeah. there were a lot of other moves in this game that also said we need to win the last two games and not necessarily this one. And Stevens being pulled early was one. Now, Stevens didn't play well, so I'm not claiming he did, but he also got pulled very early and Jefferson got put in his place. I don't think the team really believed, and I say that believed in the past tense now because Tony Jefferson went on the COVID list today, but I, I don't think the team really believed that Tony Jefferson was the answer for the rest of the season on the back end. He wasn't before, so I don't think I don't know why they would think that. I do think they think Tony Jefferson could be a great dime back for this team. 
and could be a could be a guy in future years. But mm-hmm. in terms of 2021, doesn't Stevens being removed from the game? Does it say anything about the possible use of Stevens at cornerback the last two weeks when he is completely they are so bereft of possible corners? Yeah, and I think that's a great point. That that if I had to say take one guess, that's probably a main topic of what Harbaugh and DeCosta were talking about because they are always and they're very well known for being forward thinking um, and so I wonder if they like they know what they have in Tony Jefferson and like you said they don't uh, they don't need him uh, long term I mean maybe next year but they need between the two guys they need uh, Stevens to be right quote unquote uh, mentally and physically, and the the situation with the cornerbacks is was so uh, uh, it, it's it was so bad um, that I think they just needed to stop the bleeding. And they saw and and there were situations where you know I was watching it and I said one down we're getting out or we the Ravens are getting out coached and the next down is just bad angles and then Patrick Queen uh you know on the and we'll get to it uh on the touchdown and the early touchdown um to Boyd it was just I, it looked like he was in man because every because the two slot guys on either side of the ball at the same similar right. start to the route and everybody's reacting the same so but then I think what might have been uh Worley was on Joe Mixon Mm-hmm. Near the sideline. So why, why, why didn't those it didn't, twitch? It didn't make any sense to me that yeah. Steve, uh, sorry, that Queen would not be the guy to follow Boyd deep. It's a terrible advantage. It's a terrible <laughs> matchup. But it did not make sense for anything else because Stevens was on the other side of the field, and it looked like they were giving Jamar Chase the Randy Moss treatment mm-hmm. early in the game, in particular, where they were trying to cover him over and under. And that's how you get away covering with a bad corner on a good receiver is mm-hmm. you give him that over under Randy Moss treatment. And and they didn't, you know, they didn't have anybody on that side of the field. Now you could say it was a zone. Didn't look like a zone. I didn't see zone in, in what I saw. I saw Queen look into the backfield, and basically Boyd headed up the field at the exact wrong time. And Queen looked back; and he wasn't there anymore. Yeah. And you know, it's 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 just it was bad coverage, is what it came down to. Yeah, I, I think. I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I just said, yeah, it was. I think it was, it was definitely bad coverage, and it was just Wink Martindale can only do so much. But at the end of the day, he the players. We don't want to hear excuses. So it doesn't matter who you are, who you have out there, you're expected to get the job done. And so it was just kind of a culmination on that play where we were in the wrong formation or alignment, excuse me, in my opinion. They played it wrong. Joe Burrow and his guys are really good. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we saw what happened. But sorry, going, going back to that uh, previous point, I think Stevens has been trending upward for a few weeks. And this was this was yesterday was a bad spot for almost everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying his subpar performance is indicative of what he will be, because I think that's something where we all kind of fall in that trap of he's young. We want to figure it out. We're so anxious to figure out who he's going to be. Well, we won't know for a while. Um, but I would like to see him at, at corner uh, just for the simple fact that the Rams receivers, um, I think, are more physical 
than people might think. Uh, they're very, very crafty in their route running, but they are so determined, especially after the catch, to fight for those yardage that if Stevens, maybe if he gets beat on a slant or on a dig route or what, what have you, perhaps the yards after contact could be limited. So I would be a fan uh, of him moving. And then with Jefferson, if he can, I don't know if he can clear or someone else at safety, maybe Geno Stone comes back. Right. Um, I like that Gino's, much better than what we saw yesterday. Yeah, Geno would be the guy. And, and uh, they, that would leave him still short to play dime if they move Brandon Stevens and Jefferson is out. Obviously, they only have two safeties for the back end. And that's, you know, they, that, that does not leave them in a position they can they can deal with. They're going to need another safety acquired during this week. Uh we had we had so much going on here. Obviously, the Seymour Jackson Worley group, and they were all on the field together for a few snaps, very badly overmatched. And and one of the points I wanted to make about this was that that it wasn't by accident that the Bengals forced the Ravens into having three cornerbacks on the field. They wanted to exploit the Ravens' weaknesses. All they had to do was put three wide receivers on the field. Now it happens to be the Bengals play about as much 11 personnel as anybody. They they don't even really like to play 12 personnel to have two, and they don't even have a fullback. So it's either, right. you know, right. they, they could, and occasionally I guess the Bengals have played a sixth offensive lineman against the Ravens. So you might get an extra heavy on that, but you know, 90% of the snaps, 85% of the snaps, they're going to show you the base 11 personnel. You're going to be forced to either put the nickel on the field, or if down and distance dictates it, you could put the dime or quarter on the field to try and get better coverage assets and not worry about the run. That's what the Ravens ended up doing basically every play of this game. They played eight snaps of the base defense in this game. Uh, that was all against 12 personnel. So otherwise, the Bengals were forcing in this situation. Now, here's the kicker, the stat of stats from this game. This tells you the whole story you need to know. They had 31 pass plays they ran against the Ravens' nickels. Or against the Ravens' nickel. Every single pass was, was, was out, meaning there were no sacks, and... Burrow completed 30 of 31 for 366 yards. I have never seen a breakdown, any any split of statistics mm. that included a 30 of 31 or a only one miss on 31 or more passes <laughs> ever. So it, it was it was the most overmatched thing I've ever seen. The Raven pass rush, you know, they did some things, but the, but the, but the, the secondary did not hold up there and they were awful. And uh, I just, I think you got to, in a lot of ways, look at this game and kind of throw it away from the sense that Worley Seymour and, and um, uh, Jackson really have no future in this league uh, or, or certainly with the Ravens. It was hard to watch, to be honest with you. And you know that, they're obviously they're giving their best, but it tells you something when you look at snap count and you see for d- defensively for the Ravens, Chuck Clark mm-hmm. leading at seventy six, Kevon Seymour at seventy five. That's bad, news. and that was mm-hmm. so. If he's getting beat that badly and he's one snap away from playing all the snaps, what does that tell you? That it was that's all they had, and mm-hmm. the Bengals knew that, and they kept going at him, kept going at him, kept going at him, and the uh, I think it was Trent, might have been Trent Green, the um, the color commentator said, well, it was just a simple comeback or simple this or simple that, and they're really doing whatever they want, and c- could Joe Burrow and and Zach Taylor kind of dial up more? complicated route schemes and and concepts no absolutely they didn't yeah. need to they didn't yeah. need to and 
and it wasn't, it, it, and I wasn't tracking this, but just the eye test told me that they didn't get a ton of broken tackles. It was more just, I'm bigger than you, so um, I'm no, drag you or just evade the tackle a few yards, and that doesn't help with morale. And <clears throat> speaking of the pass rush, it's interesting because they have. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just I want to make sure I, I address that first of mm-hmm. all before you go into another topic here. But the they they got outmaneuvered a lot after the catch. It wasn't necessarily broken tackles. It was they're on a crossing route, and you know their receivers just have a very good ability to bubble past an inside linebacker, or they were on a short route. And there's a whole bunch of these, you know, four plus eleven, three plus fifteen kind of plays uh, in terms of the, the the yards on the pass and the yak. That, that we saw to the outside and, and a lot of the Ravens weakness on, on of physicality uh, of tackling that you kind of alluded to. I mean, they did miss mm-hmm. some tackles too, but, but it's more of, they, they just couldn't bring a da- guy down any less than about seven yards uh, on the outside. And, and, you know, they have big physical receivers. T Higgins is a load, even Boyd compared to our corners is pretty big. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was, a, it was a horrible combination of situations. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's wait on getting to the pass rush here for a second, sure. because I have, a, I have that in a segment later. I want to make sure we get to it. Um, yeah. I had some other thoughts about about players in 2022, but uh, we'll get to some of that later in terms of people like Mac. They actually got to look at Jefferson and, you know, what he accomplished in this game. I think there's some positive things there. Uh, we saw Levine uh, on the field. I mean, he was, he's played snaps and I mean, he's doing it bravely. Um, he did he make a very nice breakup on a pass that was out that he had to cover for a long time. And he was in coverage of Chase on a play that basically Oway got, got knocked on the ground twice, got up twice, chased mm, after the quarterback, yes. and, and he finally releases after the ball after must, what must have been 10 or 12 seconds. I mean, it was, it was, it was a very, very long time to throw on that one. And I, 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 Levine was still there to make the PD on the play. He also got beat for that big pass by Mixon at the very end of the game. And that was <laughs> obviously losing by 20, and when it – probably should have been more uh that's not good obviously Mm -hmm. but what made me feel good as a ravens fan and as a coach is how guys like anthony levine and coming back now um tony jefferson Jefferson. how they played either they had a really good game or they made key plays and i bring that up because you have guys who either haven't played in a while or don't get a lot of true defensive snaps, but they're mentally in the position to make the play. And that's huge because that tells young guys, look, these guys are vets. They have an excuse, so to speak, to maybe not take it easy, but if they do mess up, they'll have more leeway than a Mm first-year player or first-time starter, they are taking it very seriously. And hopefully that rubs off on the young guys say, hey, look, you never know when your time's going to come. You need to be locked in because this is the big time. Every week is going to be like this, as we've seen. It's always a close game. So, um, yeah, you know, you don't want to give anybody, much less an ascending star like Joe Burrow, all that time, in the pocket, yeah. but when you have guys that are veterans on the back end to kind of hold hold the dam for for a half or a game, that's 
That's that's impressive. To, talking about the the locker room aspect of it, I think yeah. there's multiple things. I like what I've heard from Clark since the game. I think players like Jefferson will respond and try and lead in the way they would normally do so. And I, I think he's a good leader with Clark for for this defense. I think mm-hmm. he's a, he's another guy who has the you know natural leadership qualities. Very popular guy, certainly on Twitter. We all know that, but but <laughs> I think in the clubhouse as well. Uh, I I don't think there's a problem with the leadership angle on this team. I think Calais Campbell will also hold the team together on, uh, defensively. Where where I um I'm I maybe is more concerned is that even with good leadership and and if you have Jefferson maybe maybe a better communicator back there than Stevens is really can't speak to that right now. I know Clark is really thought to be uh, thought of to be a good communicator, but he's still trying to herd cats <laughs> with these set of cornerbacks. I mean, you know, there's only so much you can do with that. You can be the greatest, you know, dog at herding cattle, but you're going to be terrible at herding cats. I mean, you, you know, you, he needs yeah. the right kind of players to be able to teach them how to how to how to work together in coverage and how to you know not have breakdowns occur. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. It's so true in uh, in coaching. I know a lot of times when you're uh, coaching me, being a high school coach, I've seen it a lot where I've had to do this, and then I've seen other coaches do this where really simple concepts or stuff that might be a little more detailed that you know you've practiced all week in these guys, these young guys whether they're starting or someone gets injured and they have to come off the bench, they're just lost. And at that point, it's too late. I tell my guys all the time that you, when we tell you to come to practice, it's not because we want to have a power trip or to hear ourselves talk. It's because when you get in the game, you don't have time to really adjust anymore. It's only... The only thing that's going to play itself out is your preparation throughout the week. So if you really don't have real reps under your belt and real experience, Chuck Clark can, you know, be the best communicator ever. Like you, like you said, it's, it's almost in a way, not up to him. It's up to those guys to just figure it I out mean, on the fly. Now, I think better fundamentals yeah, in order absolutely. to be, to be taught so how to do that. That's, that's kind of the, the, the hard thing where we just want to see it right away but it's not that simple all right let's talk packages for a second michael because there's a couple yeah. of points i want to make on this it's it's limited um base package they got into eight times there's eight times where the where the uh Bengals had 12 personnel on the field uh, it, context is important when you look at this kind of thing uh but all of these came fairly late in the game not that the Bengals weren't still racking up yardage you know, left and right on the Ravens, but they had eight plays for minus eight yards. It's kind of weird that the Ravens would be so good in one particular split because it means they have to be even worse <laughs> in the other splits yeah. than they were overall in the game, which was terrible. So eight plays for minus eight yards. Uh, they had two of their sacks uh, came on those plays. They, uh, they otherwise held them incredibly, but effectively the Bengals did them a favor anytime they only put two receivers on the field because it meant there only had to be three corners on the, there only had to be two corners on the field. Uh, that in a way tells me something positive about what can happen going into the Rams game is that if it was all about those three cornerbacks being so bad and the difference between having two corners and three corners on the field is that great. And I think this, it's not that great because it's, this is a matter of luck accentuating design. 
you know, extreme results, accentuating mm-hmm. design. But it, it still tells me that it was an awfully big deal to have three bad players on the field at one time, as opposed to even having two bad players on the on the field at one time. Right. And I, I you know, I'm really sorry, and, and in particular, a family of of uh, you know, Kavon Seymour or uh, Nate Jackson or <laughs> uh, Worley are listening to this this podcast and and are thinking I'm throwing them under the bus. But I mean. That's what was really wrong with the Ravens in this game more than anything. The, the rest of this team could have held it together, I think, with three normal corners and made it a competitive game. They still would have been without Lamar Jackson. They still would have been without Tyler Huntley. Burrow lit him up pretty good the first time. It's not like not like you know they right. wouldn't have still had an offense. But I think that if 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 I'm looking at this and I'm trying to look at a positive angle, it's that it really made a dig, big difference between two and three cornerbacks on the field in terms of how much the Ravens got buried by the Cincinnati offense. And it's an interesting set because I'm sure the Bengals' offensive coaching staff knew that coming in. Of course. And they said, well, well generally, you know, if, if we're going to go 11 personnel or, you know, and they went and, and uh, I believe the one to Boyd, the touchdown might have been empty. So, you know, they had, they spread the Ravens out a lot. Mm-hmm. Normally, you say, okay, well, the defense going to nickel, dime, quarter, what have you, is going to in some way counter that. Well, it was actually an, the opposite because the Ravens were so injured, it was actually to the Bengals' advantage of to course. have them I mean, line up like that. And, let me ask you a question as yeah. a defensive coordinator, Mike. And this mm-hmm. is this is this is one of the reasons I was really looking forward to having you on the show. Here is that you know a lot of people think well. Martindale can just choose his package and he can just put two corners on the field. He can put the base defense on the field. Well, the, the, the package for the defense is largely determined by the offensive personnel. And the defense then gets a chance if there's any changes in offensive personnel to respond. That's true at all levels of football, correct? High school, college, wherever. Mm-hmm. If there's yep. a change in personnel on offense, the, the officials will stop the game to allow for a reasonable amount of time, defensive substitution within that, in order to do that. If you don't make any changes, the defense, the, you know, the, the offense can run as fast as they want. If they catch Calais Campbell on the field, they catch Calais Campbell on the field if you're making an exchange. Right. Okay. But the point is that the Bengals determine whether or not the Ravens have to move to a nickel or if they have to respond some way differently, you know, with a, with a different set of personnel, but they effectively decided that they, that, that they could force the Ravens into the nickel defense. And, and they, they definitely did it. And they, and they took enormous advantage of it by knowing how, just how bad and how weak that, that set of Ravens quarters was. Yeah. And they didn't in a lot of what they did was if they did vary things up, it was the same formation just flipped or Joe Burrow would just, bootleg an opposite direction i mean a lot of their their actions offensively the bengals it was the same it was just maybe to another side or mm-hmm. something like that so um it was enough to get the ravens thinking this is something different while it really wasn't and you know as a coach when you think about substituting or how do we fix this or what can we do if we see this look again well a lot of times, you know, with film study, it really is just probability. I'll say to my guys a lot, you can study film and you should study and take notes and all that. But it's just a probability. There's no certainty that if they get out in, in empty from the 
from the plus 45, you know, when we, we know this is kind of, they maybe take a shot. There's no guarantee they might not do something else. Because good coaches, obviously they're in the NFL, so they're good coaches. They'll it'll build up that look. And especially mm-hmm. in division games, you always have to have a little bit of a wrinkle. They may spread you out and have Joe Burrow on a draw. Or they, they work may to be, get a tendency breaker. Right, exactly. Because it's not that hard to once you have something that's working offensively to just go another way with it. So for Wink Martindale, even like we just alluded to a few minutes ago, Marlon Humphrey got beat bad the last game. Sure. So <laughs> the best cover guy the Ravens have couldn't really solve this team, this offense. So um, it, in a way, I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but in a way it didn't really matter what Wink did yesterday because of the people he had to deploy. That makes okay, sense. Let me, let me continue on talking about packages a little bit. I talked a little bit about the standard nickel. They, they, they were in that 45 times. They ran the ball 14 times for 49 yards. A lot of teams like to run uh, against the nickel because mm-hmm. if you run with 11 personnel against the nickel, you, you get one less heavy to block with, but they also get one less heavy in the box. And, and a lot of teams like that trade-off. They don't want to carry a fullback. They don't want to jam up the box with extra people. They just want to let their star running back make plays against your – uh, you know, more limited box. And and the Bengals have a back who can do that, but the Ravens were very effective, frankly, at stopping them, even in the nickel and, and overall in the game. It was it was with the pass though, those 30 of 31. That's the whole ball game right there. Mm. That that uh you know it's just ridiculous. They had 415 yards in 45 plays against a nickel, 9.2 yards per play. Uh, you can't do that and you especially can't do it when you're when you're giving up 12 yards per pass uh, <laughs> underneath that. So they can, they converted every way they want. I, I, the only one, one other one I hit on, they put three snaps of jumbo nickel, but they also played 12 snaps a quarter. Something the Ravens done in the last two weeks, get seven defensive backs on the field. It's their primary pass defense where it used to be the dime before, but now they're playing four safeties and three corners. I like it as a way to try and hold down the passing game. It gets those inside linebackers off the field, although they still had queen on for most of these and gives you a chance to get better, tighter coverage in the middle of the field with veterans like Levine and Jefferson who know what they're doing setting up a short zone. But in this game, it didn't work. The corners just got destroyed, and uh, and, and, and other players got destroyed too, but it was mostly the corners getting destroyed. And in the quarter, they gave up, let me get this right, 12 plays, 157 yards, 13.1 yards per play. So it's not like that worked either, and that tracks with a lot of the third down failure in this game. Uh, you know, it's you, yeah. you look at the box score, it says five for 10 on third down, but mm-hmm. they also converted two out of two on fourth down. So it's really seven out of 10 of the third downs that they got to that they ended up yeah. converting. Yeah. And then that's the thing where, you know, and we saw it on the first drive where when the Ravens, um, they stopped the, uh, the Bengals, but then they eventually got a field goal. Or the, I think, was it the sack was taken away or something? Uh, the Bengals came away with three points on the first drive, which on the road like, with that defense to just kind of hold things. Good stop. It, and especially when they were so close, it wasn't like they were at the 18. They were really close to the goal line. That was big. And then, you know, from there, kind of fell apart. And, you know, the Ravens' offense, you know, Josh Johnson, I think it was a 70% completion and, you know, had the, had the interception, but I mean, how much, how often will you see the Ravens 
have the ball for 14 less minutes. Um, and then those, those snaps pile up and your confidence just gets crushed and crushed and crushed, especially if you're a young player or you're a player that's new to the system. So it was, it was bad after that first drive. It was just kind of bad the whole rest of the way. I mean, it's never good to lose snap count ever. Not ever. Veteran team, young team, any team. It's it's bad. It's bad for being yeah. tired. It's bad for being frustrated. It's bad for being uh, how it makes your offense feel. It's bad for so many things. I you know I'm probably not mentioning here, but mm-hmm. they destroyed them uh, in that it didn't really ever feel like the Ravens. I mean, Ravens only got ten first downs on sixty nine plays, I believe, for the Bengals that weren't kneels. Uh, that's too many. They got thirty three first downs. They got all the other first downs where they started a drive, which might have been another 10 or so. They only got to third down 10 times. I mean, all those yeah. individual series of plays, it's not acceptable. So, I, you know, got the third down. That means you, you hold them to 10, you know, less than 10 yards on two plays. I mean, that's, it's, it's you know, they just could not get it done. And uh, I, I'm, it, it was a frustrating game to watch. And then on the other hand, I got to look at it and say, this just isn't representative of who the Ravens are. It might, they might not get it done. They, they certainly have a good chance to not make the postseason this year. But I don't think this game and the results of this game specifically are the reason to throw in the towel. I agree. And, you know, we talked about it. This is not the kind of team that the Ravens are in their performance, but also the personnel. We just, I mean, we've said it ad nauseum, uh, how many players are they're missing. And even guys on offense, like if you have J.K. Dobbs and Gus Edwards, if you need to kind of um, stem the tie a little bit and give your defense a break, they can lengthen drives. We don't have the the Ravens don't have those. So um, I would hope, and I think that when you're talking about the guys in the locker room, their strong presence is like Levine and Jefferson and Clayus Campbell, that they'll like, they'll say, Hey guys, look, it is what it is. They're a really good team. Don't let this define come back, short memory, all those things we hear all the time. Um, and it's it's valuable we have that. So hopefully the Rams game will be much different. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Let's let's move on and talk pass rush here uh, for a bit because the Ravens pass rush are actually not terrible in this game. Mm-hmm. Burrow was outstanding under pressure, but let me give you a few of, this, of the baseline statistics here. Burrow had ATS on 18 of 49 dropbacks. That's 37% of those resulting in a pass or sack. He also had 13 ball out quick and 18 pressure events within three seconds. The ATS percentage of 37% is a little higher than normal. Maybe about 30 to 33% would be about the norm for the NFL. Defensive coordinators really try and rack up fast pressures. The Ravens in this game really called off the dogs to a large They did not rush a lot of numbers in this game, only 11 times out of 49, much lower than the Ravens number. Did they rush five plus? And nine of those were exactly five. So they didn't go all out to, to, to blitz mm-hmm. him. They, they just... They were pretty patient about it. And, you know, the fact that they got 18 pressures within three seconds was not rewarded with the sort of results that you would expect to occur from that. And we can go through some of that in a moment. Agreed. And I think that you have to look at the game plan going in and say, obviously, you're going to, it's not just as simple as saying, let's blitz a lot or let's play coverage. You're going to do a lot of both, but for the main strategy you're going to pick one or the other and go from there and i think that what they did in theory was smart 
you don't want to rush a lot of numbers. You want to have one or two extra guys in coverage rather than in Burrow's face because he, although he's very young, he's he's very he has a very quick wit, so he could mm-hmm. solve that blitz. So I think it made sense, but the Ravens just didn't execute it. Go through the stats here. With ample time and space, Burrow was 12 of 18 for 275. That's 15.3 yards per play. That's an astronomical number. Burrow with ample time and space the first game, 16.4 yards per play, which was the highest of the year against mm-hmm. the Ravens. So his his uh, he was outrageously good in both games of taking advantage if the Ravens gave him space in the pocket. So I don't think they could really afford to. So it's good they got some pressure on him in this game. Mm-hmm. Ball out quick. It was bad, 12 out of 13 for 101. The bad problem about that is 7.8 yards per play, which is not out of this world, but the the there were two sacks, I believe, in that group. So it might have been 15 total plays. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Nope, 13 ball out quick, 12 or 13. All these balls were passes. So it's it, it was a case of uh, that's a very low variance result. That's what I don't like about that. 7.8 yards per play is is good for ball out quick, but it's it's really good when you complete almost every pass so you're getting some yards on every play. Mm-hmm. It's a lot better than getting, you know, zero or fifty, you know, and, and having, you know, only one out of six or one out of seven be a fifty yard play. Right. And then that strategy played out in the first drive. Again, it, mm-hmm. you 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 always like to if you have to make a choice try certain things like the one um it was a crossing route that chuck clark it would he either could take the crosser or go to double chase on that first drive he chose chase the cross came underneath he made the play so it's a big it's a big play you give up but you don't give up the biggest play which would have been a touchdown or potential touchdown so um they they want to do that and especially with younger guys they want to keep everything in front of them and that as opposed to being aggressive and more exotic in your coverages or your how you maybe roll safety or what have you. But um, in a way, kind of like what you're pointing out, I'd be anxious, I'd be interested to see what Burrow's numbers and those stats are against other teams because it seems like it didn't really matter what the Ravens did, how they pressured, where they pressured from. They may have gotten him in a, a play or two, but he likely would have corrected it anyway. It, it, I, Burrow's stats cannot be as good against other teams. First of all, I mean, Burrow's average game is not as good as what he just did to the Ravens or in the two Ravens games this year. So I think it's fair to say Burrow yeah. you know, played his, played his best football this year against the Ravens. Uh, when pressured, Burrow was 13 of 15. He did have three sacks in that group, but 13 of 15 for 123 yards, seven yards, or 6.8 yards per play. That's incredibly good. Normal would be something under four yards per play for under pressure. Uh, you know, there's a lot of incompletes. There's turnovers in there. Usually there are no turnovers in this case. All your sacks or most of your sacks tend to come on plays where you're pressured. Occasionally you get one where somebody stands around the pocket too long and and and, and that happens. But 6.8 yards per play under pressure. All three of those numbers are very good. That 6.8 yards per play under pressure is, is great. And that ATS number of 15.3 is astronomical. It was just it was one of those games. You do have to tip your hat to Burrow in a way. And you also have to have to say, it wasn't going to work out with any amount of time with these corners. They were too 
easily beaten, too easily moved. Burrow must have been making very quick reads in this game as well, uh, perhaps using peripheral vision to, to, to really select from the various read, read uh, sorry, receiving options he had. Or maybe it was the first read every time, and the first read a lot of times that was good. Yeah, and I think they did a really good job of scheming it to where in – certain situations when they know the Ravens are going to blitz or they've seen the Ravens bring uh, an unusual type of blitz that they have their guys in position to say, here's what we're doing. Or you you saw Burrow check to a play that worked out well. So the Bengals just in a way were just out coached and out out coached and outplayed the Ravens, which is hard to say because it doesn't happen. No. Or this year it didn't happen a lot. But, yeah, it seemed like whatever he wanted to do, he did. All right. In terms of number of pass rushers, uh, the Ravens had six plays where they rushed three or fewer. Those went for 19.7 yards per play. They had 32 times they rushed four, 8.8 yards per play, two of their sacks. They had nine times they rushed five, 10.7 yards per play. They twice rushed six for only one total yard. So it was, you know, obviously a fairly small sample size, but that's it. Total plays of 49 for 49, eight, uh, 498, 10.2 yards per play. So in general, nothing worked. The, the only thing I want to additionally mention about this is the deceptive elements, because as we know, Wink Martindale uses a lot of deception in his, in his pass rush game. That really did not work against Burrow. I'm going to go through the three things. Six off-ball blitzes in this game. That's .12 per pass play. So it wasn't a lot. There were six individuals. They never did two on any single play. Um, those six plays went for 94 yards, 15.7 per play. So there were three designed stunts. Now, of course, stunts take longer to get home, but they can give you an advantage for either the over or the under guy. Um, those three plays were completed for 17, 68, and 13 yards, 32.7 yards per play. These are just astronomical. These are ridiculous, mm. astronomical numbers. Last one, they showed simulated pressure 12 times. Now, it really takes balls to do that 12 times when they gave up 193 yards on those plays, 16.1 yards per play. You got to do something. You got to mm-hmm. somehow not let the opponent know how you're, how you're doing things. But none of these worked well. Burrow was good hot. He was good on these out routes where they got a lot of yards after the catch, even behind the line of scrimmage. And uh, all of the deception in the world was not going to turn this game in the Ravens family in the Ravens favor uh, with the personnel they had on the back end. It was hard to watch because again, when the Ravens did blitz or even just blitz, just pressure because we, we talked about the, the extra defensive back or two that they had covering, obviously they can bring that. We could, they can only bring less rusher. So mm-hmm. those guys had to do a lot of heavy lifting. Now, when you try to blitz off the edge with the DB or a linebacker, or you try to blitz up that gap, the A gap, that's got to, you got to get home. Now, I understand, and you're, you're completely correct when you say the Ravens have to try something, meaning they have to always try to do something new or maybe something they haven't done in a long time because just lining up and playing coverage was not going to work. That lining wasn't working, yeah. Doing different, different just or your base kind of rushes isn't going to work. Um, so you do have to try something, absolutely. But what they were doing um, 
wasn't having the desired effect in ter- from the standpoint of, you know, use a financial term, the capital they were spending in terms of the blitz wasn't paying off. There was not a return on investment. Um, and so it's just so frustrating to see, like, you, you think you have a good plan or you think you have some kind of good blitz wasn't working. All right, let's move on to the individual player discussion here because there's, there's a few players on defense that I really want to talk about, and I'm sure you do too. How we do this on the show now, Mike, is we just alternate bringing up a player. You make a you make a uh, comment about him, I'll respond, and then I'll bring up the next one. Okay. You get a guest, you get to go first. All right, thanks. So I uh, was looking forward to and pleasantly surprised by um, – of course, I'm forgetting his name now. The um, Isaiah Mack, the nose tackle. And I thought that, you know, for a nose tackle to make a kind of impact, you don't see that a lot, at least that, that you remember. Certainly not on the box score. But I think he did a pretty good job against a front that, while obviously passing was what they wanted to do, they tried to run a good amount, and I think he did a good job of letting the yeah. linebackers make plays. Yeah, I, I was, I, you know, I, I really liked what Mac did. Um, he's not a nose, not really. I mean, in this game, it really showed exactly what he was. He's a three tech all the way. From he's very quick. He's a he's a big big boy, big big belly. He he looks like maybe he's built like a nose tackle, but he's just way shy in terms of weight because he's not that tall. He's about six mm-hmm. one. At least that's the claim. I think he's probably closer to six feet, and it, you know he's he's a very natural three tech. He's his skill set overlaps a lot with Justin Matabike as a guy who uh, looks like he plays with heavy hands, uh, but he plays with extraordinary quickness. Is what I'm noticing. Some of the R movies he gave. I, I don't want to mispronounce his name, but I think it's Adeniji uh, uh, or Adenajay. I, I, I'm not sure, but I apologize for this mispronunciation. Almost all his wins were as a three-tech against that right guard, number 77. Go back and look at the film. You know, out, folks out there, I'm sure you have, uh, Mike. But um, he beat him for the five-yard sack on that double 12-man penalty. By the way, really weird, that double 12-man Never penalty. seen that before. Ne- never seen it before. Not <laughs> ever. But but here's what here's what I think might have happened, by the way. Um, and, and this might be something – it wouldn't come up in a high school game because you don't have challenge. But you have you have a uh, – in the pro level, they challenge that play to make sure that, that – um, Campbell was flagged for being on the field. And what I think happened is their get back guy was not doing his job on their sideline. And they had a coach or somebody else who had strayed out of the field to watch the play. And so that's when they caught the 12, because you look at the camera angle, there's nobody there. There's 11 guys on, on the, uh, for the Bengals on the field. So they didn't make a mistake. Wow. They found a 12th person, but it's going to be some coach at midfield or whatever. And they said, well, no, hmm. you're not going to challenge us. You're, you're getting flagged for that too. So I, yeah. that will probably come out. I, I, I haven't heard anything definitive about that, but I, I, I would bet that's it. Yeah. Interesting. No. But, but anyway, the, the point about Mac, Mac had a big hand in three different sacks. So the, the, the one that got negated, which is, I, I thought it was his first career sack, but apparently he had a sack and a half with Tennessee. Uh, he swam past I, I, one of the greatest swim moves you'll ever see. I mean, he's an ole, a matador move. Uh, <laughs> he, 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 he got, a, a, I don't want to mispronounce the guy's name, Hakeem, Hakeem A. He got him to uh, uh, immediately go for his, effectively, his right arm. And he swam right by him to the outside for, for the S-8 that was his, 
you know, first real sack with the Ravens. Then he bowled him directly into the quarterback. So you love to see the quick moves, but you also love to see it when he can also make a power move. And, and Washington ended up getting that sack minus 10 after Burrow brought the ball down. Uh, so he, he really facilitated that. And then he got another pressure um, uh, on the ball that ended up where Burrow threw the ball to be stripped by Jefferson in the end zone after a fairly uh, extended time in the pocket. So I, I, I was just I was outrageously, deliriously happy with <laughs> Mac's performance in this game, particularly given that they gave him a lot more play in the second half when they kind of decided that a lot of players were going to sit down and have their snaps reduced for, I think, veteran rest purposes. Yeah. All right. My turn on the player. Yeah. Your turn. Let's, let's talk Adafi away. Cause I think he was a player who had a, a pressure impact on this game and he, he delivered a lot of pressure and it was definitely not rewarded. So, you know, a lot of people that talk about pressures like to say, this is something that will repeat itself year after year, that it's more consistent than sacks. Um, but he just, a lot of these plays, and I list them in my article, if you want to go out there and take a look at them, folks who are listening to this, but a lot of 10, 11, 14 yard throws, 17 yard throws where he had pressure on the play and the back end could not deliver on that. And he had pressure within two with, sorry, within three seconds. Yeah. In a way is someone that, man, it's just, Really glad the Ravens got him. <laughs> Every yep. time I watch him, he can – what was it? The um, I think it was early, maybe the Chiefs game or one of the early games where he rushed maybe up the A or B gap or at least a line there. And so mm-hmm. he's been – he's had a lot on his plate and been doing a lot of really good things. And I even like the play he didn't get flagged for, fortunately, but uh, he kind of – he stopped Mixon's uh, forward progress, and mm-hmm. there was a whistle. It's a little late. Um, Mixon goes to the ground. It was kind of a flop. I think the right non-call was was made. Uh, but Oa, you know, he showed that he's no punk. You know, he cares. Mm-hmm. He's he's going to give some attitude. He, you know, things aren't going well, but he's still going to fight. And I think that's huge, especially from a rookie that has so much ex- so much expectation on him. Um, and I, I just like how his just his technique is coming together. And you know, I I don't have his numbers on on me uh, from Penn State, but he's still pretty new mm-hmm. to the position, and he's really soaking up a lot of knowledge. So, right. a, a, just another solid game from him that he keeps stacking. Yeah, the, the the big thing from Penn State, obviously, was zero sacks as a senior, but he was still voted all Big Ten uh, when that happened. So they knew what they were looking at. I, I think it is incredible what the Ravens have asked him to do. And I think there's still more for him to learn. I mean, he's playing off ball as a pass rusher some, which is what they gave to uh, Bowser a lot of last year. Uh, he's he, he certainly has played the edge pretty well in terms of, mm-hmm. of you know holding that and, and and turning run plays inside, and he's he's delivered a lot of pressure as a pass rusher. But I'm 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 really I think there's still a chance, you know, because he's so fast that he could become the great Sam linebacker the Ravens want, and that's something you know he's going to learn how to do some of these coverage things from Bowser, have a natural mm-hmm. dual Sam role, so you can have effectively two guys who can drop the cover that gives Martindale the the pass rush flexibility wants. It always seems like you're giving something up to not have a way rush the passer, but, uh, but boy, he's a, he's a special player. The other thing I wanted to mention about him in this game is his motor 
is just incredible. It is, Isn't it is it? at least <laughs> at the McCrary level. I mean, and, and that's really saying something in Ravens history. I mean, that's, that's comparing him to probably the greatest motor in team history. Yeah, and that's um, I don't know. Maybe it's the jersey number, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, somewhat. Another player I was impressed with uh, was Tavon Young, and you know, I, I I'm not privy to this. I don't necessarily need to know or want to know, but I would think that he's not a hundred percent and he knew the team needs him and he's still fighting and just little things to me that show up as a coach are, um, are proper tackles, especially when your defenders outmatched from a physical standpoint and the receiver that young tackled might not have had a lot of poundage on him, but was, was bigger, had more leverage and Tavon, as we know, he has always been um, is not afraid, and he gets in there. And it's not so much of throwing your body; it's he knows what to do. He knows, you know, get the knee and come around the other arm with to the ankle. You know, mm-hmm. however it plays out, he um, he provided a lot of stability. Obviously, you know, Burrow went crazy, but in the little things and the details, that he in. In the film room, I'm sure those young guys, again, is going to see that veteran example of, look, it doesn't matter what the score is. This is how you play. You're expected to make the tackle. Always, Another thing I tell my guys a lot is, you know, try to play the defense as if it only depends on you so that anybody else that comes and pursues or, you know, tries to get the ball loose, that's a bonus. And I think Tavon Young, in really hard circumstances, played a pretty good game yesterday. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, I liked what we saw from Tavon in this game. And he sat out the last two and a half drives. So he's one of the veterans that kind of took a rest. And another case of the Ravens really wanting to make sure that they have the personnel they need to win these last two football games or give themselves a chance to win these last two football games. Uh, one of the good things, I think, we, we haven't mentioned this yet, but I kind of want to take a tangential ride down this. The game got moved to 1 p.m. I don't know if you saw that today, but it got moved from 425 to 1, which I think is a good advantage for the Ravens because now they've got a west-to-east team playing at 1 o'clock. True. And that should really help, uh, you know, in terms of, of uh, getting them a little bit out of sync in terms of, uh, of that. And, you know, the Ravens need every advantage they can get, that's frankly. That's, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And I know from an analyst perspective, and I know about you when you were doing a lot more writing, Mike, maybe this was mm-hmm. a bigger deal, but it's a very big deal to have a one o'clock game instead of a four o'clock game for all the analysis that I do after the game. It's just, it's, it is enormously different. Mm. And I really yeah. appreciate having a one o'clock game. It's funny you say that because I was tracking that because I'm actually uh, working the game for Fox and I saw it okay. at 425. And yeah, I, for me, I don't carry the way. I just, I, I love doing these games, but uh there's something about a one o'clock game, a big game at home that just feels like it feels right. And, you know, now with Lamar and every Ravens had been winning a lot and they're getting more primetime games, but there's something about, you know, when you need a game one o'clock, that's what you want it. That's what you want. That's what you're used to. So, so yeah, tell us so, a little bit because I, I know you're working yeah, that you work in the in the press box. You do some situational statistics for Fox. Yeah, so I'll, um, I'm actually in the production truck once in a while. I'll be in the in the press box, but for the most part, I'm in the truck with the graphics team. And mm-hmm. excuse me, they'll track uh, a lot of basic stuff, but they'll have myself or people like myself to say um, situationally dependent. So. Um, 
you know, if Lamar plays, let's say, how many times um, is he pressured or how many times does he get hit in the pocket versus out of the pocket? How many uh, times is he, uh, when he's running, is he running like in, up between the tackles? You know, how many times does uh, Jalen Ramsey line up over Hollywood Brown and what the targets Mm-hmm. share is there so all this so, so you, have, of, you have a set th- group of things you're going to count before that, the game and yeah to- yes uh but that's only determined we have a meeting uh a, a couple hours before the game mm-hmm. the guys they work on they read a lot of local stories throughout to kind of build up to it and kind of bring together this what they're looking for what they suspect might happen and of course milestones so you know um they may do something with Stafford coming up or mm-hmm. Cooper cup. I'm sure is kind of set or is approaching some kind of record. So I'll, I'll like count that down. So say if he's 12 reception shy when he gets to nine or 10, I'll, you know, let the guys know. And cause they have the graphic pre-built. They just need to fill in the numbers. Okay. They have an idea of, okay, this is probably going to happen. Um, or do you have a, do you have a process for building an on the fly graphic? Uh, they do, but try not to brag, but they're, um, they're pretty good at what they do. Um, if they try to come up with every conceivable scenario, so something, it was actually, it's, it's energy asset the other day or a couple weeks ago, um, they got some kind of pregame footage and they wanted to build something on the fly. It did take a few minutes, but they have the headshot. They have a basic outline that they can work with. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, it was the uh, the Cowboys receivers, I think. CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup were all like standing next to each other or something. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to use that shot. So that took a little while, but um, for the most part, they're really on top of things. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. That's a little inside information on that. Yeah. We appreciate it. Um, let's see. My turn to name a player. Yeah, it's your turn. Okay. Yeah. Let me see. Who did, who did I not mention yet of the players that were on my list? Let me make sure I've got this. Tony Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Uh, really nice return for the Ravens. And and obviously, he's been a guy I think I think everybody likes the guy um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of who he is. He's he's uh, had nine tackles, but but one of the things about this, he led the team tied with Queen, uh, but did it in only 40, I think it was 42 snaps. Let me make sure I have that correct here. Um, my snap totals are always lower because they don't include penalties, but 42 non-penalty snaps, he, 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 he piled up nine tackles. Some of that is is bad because he's in the secondary he's having to make tackles on right. completed passes yeah. but but he also had a sack he played the run well he had some of the good nice downhill tackles for the ravens on pass plays so if you really look at at, at his body work i think he had an exceptional game and i think I, I couldn't really find a lot of flaws from a technique perspective i was a little surprised by one of the plays where they were completely hot on an uncovered receiver meaning both he and clark blitzed or sorry Jefferson was up close to the line of scrimmage, and I think he rushed the passer also, but Clark rushed and uh, on that play and got pressure, and there was a, a receiver that, that then there's no one around on that play, which was a little odd. So I'm not sure if one of them basically was supposed to drop out of that mm-hmm. and play, but otherwise I couldn't really find anything technique-wise to, to really blame Jefferson for. Yeah, it was, it was definitely encouraging, you know, first, first real game action in a while against a really good team to – perform like he did and you know i'm looking at the snap count now and it says 
pro football reference has him at 12 special team snaps. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a guy that's kind of probably still getting back into football shape, that's, that's really big. So how, how cool would it be? And and do you think it's a real possibility? Because Tony Jefferson will be 30 before next season starts. In fact, he'll be 30 in about 30 days. Um, What do you think about the possibility of him being kind of the new Levine on this team, a guy they signed for two years, uh, you know, I, I don't think Tony Jefferson's at a point where he would expect to make much over the minimum salary. But mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be fulfilled if he wants to make three or four million dollars a year. I don't think there's a taker out there for him at that price. But if but if he could if he could sign for, you know, a four hundred thousand or six hundred thousand dollar bonus to the minimum to get a two year deal with the Ravens and he could be mm-hmm. a combination of one of their core special teams players, which I think he pretty much already is, which is ridiculous given, you know, he's just back. Um, and right. also that, that, that he would be the dime back for the team so that you make sure you have four safeties who you actually trust to play on defense. So they'll have <laughs> next year, they'll have Stevens, they'll have stone and they're both young. They'll have Clark and he's still fairly young mm-hmm. and the leader. And then they would have Jefferson, who's who's the guy who they can trust to be on the field, so that you don't have to have all three of these guys healthy. You ha- you have a fourth guy that you can you can always fit in, right? And then the Sean Elliott, you know, if he comes back healthy, which hopefully we, um, yeah. So I th- I think there's no downside in bringing him back, mm-hmm. and the only thing that you kind of I think you were kind of alluding to is. Not Jefferson specifically, but just mm-hmm. veterans in general where, you know, it's nice to come back for your old team. But coming back after an off season, that's a whole, that's a different situation because mm-hmm. now it's like you, the season's almost over. Whatever, go to the playoffs, not it's, – it's like a sprint now. Going through the OTAs and off season and, and camp, that's a bigger dream. The one thing you wonder about is the hunger. Well, there was no shortage of that yesterday. He wanted, right. he was loving it out there. You could, you just could tell. And that's a big indicator. So for me, I think he wants to be here. Yeah. I think the Ravens want him, but at the right price. Yeah, I, oh, the Ravens always want a player at the right price. <laughs> well, no doubt about this. The, the comparable player, I mean, I, I, I'll give you the contrasting player and the comparable player. The comparable player is Pernell McPhee to me because mm. Jefferson and McPhee have both made a lot of money on one contract. Okay. They, they both signed one big deal and then they got out of it and they were hurt in each case. So Jefferson was hurt. He lost his job to Clark. There really wasn't a space for him. The Ravens couldn't bring him back. Um, then, he, then he spent a year out of football. And it, then now he's re-signed via the practice squad. I mean, McPhee went through a similar situation after leaving, going to Washington, limited snap count, but he was still playing. But I think both of those players, McPhee is certainly at a point where he, he can accept a vet minimum salary for the rest of his career. I think it's what will be offered to him. I don't know how, many, how, how much longer that will be, but it might have one more year. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Jefferson's case, I don't know that I'd put an upper bound on the number of years, but turning 30, you know, maybe two to four years could still be realistic if he's, if he's a special teams player who can play dime. Um, but it, it's not forever, and he may look at it and say, I need to maximize earnings, in which case – you know, if if he really right. sacrificed his relationship for the Ravens for two or four hundred thousand dollars, I think that'd be a mistake. If he did, if he got the extra two million, I'd completely understand. Um, but I think you know the Ravens have a role for him here, which could last multiple years, and they've shown with Levine, you know, a loyalty to keep that going for a good long time. I I agree, and I think it's it's there's probably a deal out there to be made, and I don't think any negotiations will be. 
really elongated. I think both sides know that they're better with each other, at least for a couple of years. And um, I would suspect Harbaugh and and DaCosta would be up front with him and let him know the expectation just from respect him and say, look, this is what we have in mind that we want to give you as much as we can, like Ozzy would always say. Um, But if it's over that, no hard feelings, but we just can't do that. So um, I think that's why the Ravens are so good is because they generally, you know, up front with guys and they're honest and they try to do what they can. If not, so be it. So uh, I I wanted to take a quick look if it's okay to uh, just just highlight one more guy uh, from my from my end, um, and I think maybe we can share on this guy. Is um, I know you enlisted him, but I just had to say a word of Patrick Queen, and I think that um, <laughs> if I I know so if I put out two inside linebackers or very few inside linebackers, and Queen's one of them. I know he's not going to shy away from that. But I also know that he knows I have no margin for error. And he's asked to do so much. And I think it's been said a lot on broadcast that um, him moving, technically he's moving positions, even though he's still a linebacker, obviously. But he's been playing very well. He looks quick. Um, some of his tackles to me, because I, I coached this, um, were hot, were too high, way too high. He got the guy down, but um, I would have liked him to go lower. But uh, I think he's uh, the biggest thing for linebackers. I think are feet and eyes, and I think it's, he's trusting his eyes, and he's going quick, and that's huge because uh, if you're slow at linebacker, um, you know you can get out leveraged real quick. A lot of places, but I think he's gaining confidence, and I think he's handling the the new variation to his position uh, in the in the workload, having to have one less guy next to him. I think he's handling all that very very well. I'm sorry. That's that's not your your audio going out. That's that's me being on mute. I apologize for that, Mike. Oh, that's happens, okay. like, cool. happens about every other show. So, so uh-huh. uh, let me make sure I'm responding correctly. To this Queen had a huge impact on that first drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, made number of plays to, to end up stopping the Bengals for three points on that drive, including the the, the back of the helmet hit. Um, uh, the the one play we talked about at our production meeting that it seemed like he fell down on was the handoff of coverage to who he thought was on the back end, which was no one, uh, <laughs> on the 67-yard touchdown to Boyd. And it, what, it looked at, what it appeared to happen is he looked into the backfield. He, he saw that, you know, he wanted to take a look at what Burrow was doing, but that was the exact moment at which Boyd turned up field. Unfortunate confluence of circumstances, but he does have to know that he has to, he has to carry that route. It's not optimal in terms of coverage, but he has to carry that route. And Stevens was obviously getting the over-the-top coverage on the other side. 
maybe we did discuss this already on the show. I'm not sure if it was in the production meeting or before, but uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, no. I think I think it was in the production meeting, and it's it was, and we talked about this because I think, if I'm not mistaken, they were in an empty set the Bengals, and so with Boyd being he had a reduced split down to uh, the line, uh, Queen had him. So mm-hmm. that's from from just in a line. Forget the positions, just proximity to the line. That's that's yep. what you do. However. I think it was Seymour who had Joe Mixon who was split wide. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't notice it right away, but upon the review of the film, I was like, wait a minute, this is really wrong. This should not be it. Now, it's a type of situation that reminds me of um, the two, the decision to go for two last week mm-hmm. against Green Bay. It, it, in a way, it's probably a moot point because the way that route was run and the, the ball placement uh, by – by Burrow, he might have scored anyway. And then, mm-hmm. like with Green Bay last week, the Ravens go for two and they make it. Rodgers has 40-some seconds and a timeout to get a field goal. So, that said, it was um, that was a play where it was just bad. And mm-hmm. it re- I, like and we were talking about, was it zone? Cause that's the only explanation, but it looks like a man across the board. So um, yeah. I think probably if I had to guess, you, it was just queen, just ball watching looking it, in the back. It, 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 it was a, it was a paper thin zone if it was, because they didn't have another <laughs> player on the back end. So you, you can't really play zone without two levels of, of defender. So anyway, I, I don't want to bash on queen. Cause I thought yeah, he no. played well in a lot of ways and, and, and uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I just want to bring this up. the uh, The game is final, and the Dolphins won twenty to three. Crap. So yeah, <laughs> not good. Right. Well, but they've got they've got two they more down, chances. The Saints were down to Ian Book at quarterback. So there you go. Two two more chances for for the uh, for yeah. the Dolphins to lose. Appreciate that. Let's go to the mailbag here. We have some good questions out there. If you can, uh, what we've been doing in in the past weeks, Mike is each taking mm-hmm. a question, but go to hashtag Film Study Mailbag. By the way, that's where you can get your, your questions in on the offense for tomorrow night uh, when we have uh, Kyle Barber on from Baltimore Beatdown. So let's uh, let's take a look at the first ones. I'll bring up the first one, but look for one that tickles your fancy here. Um, James Lorman says, it seems like OA has been fading down the stretch of the season. He seemed to be getting stonewalled by the Bengals tackle. Are there some areas of improvement that are obvious or has he just hit the rookie wall? Actually, I thought Owe had a really terrific game in terms of getting in on the quarterback. A bunch of pressures in this one. Uh, I thought he, 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 I wouldn't say he handled Jonah Williams like a sock puppet the way he's done with some others, but in terms of pressure rate, I thought it was good. He didn't finish as well uh, as he could have. He did have a couple of quarterback hits, no, no sacks in this game. But if, if Owe could deliver at this kind of pressure rate all the time, I'd be very happy with it. Mm. Thoughts, thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think that's that's right on, and I think um, he's his pressure rate is just so. It's a matter of just him being raw right now, and the results really are going to come. And the other thing too is once the Ravens get another, and here's the thing: once the Ravens get another solid rusher opposite mm-hmm. him, it's going to go even higher. So um, if you're pleased now, just stay tuned. <laughs> so I think it's a lot of good for him in the future. Uh, 
actually, Ken, could you repeat that hashtag one more time? Hashtag film study mailbag. And while you're looking it up, I'll just get to the next question there. Um, here's a good one for this is from Priya Kurtz. Uh, how should we build this defense next year to slow down the Bengals? Uh, obviously the Bengals are one of the considerations in division. And I think you have to, if you prepare for the Bengals, you probably do a lot of what you need to against the Browns and their great offensive line and their run game. Will you hope that you can maintain your base DNA to your defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have to rebuild the defensive line, uh, certainly to deal with the Browns. They're going to have to rebuild the secondary uh, in, in some ways. They're, they're, they have some good players in the secondary, and I'm not talking about Marcus Peters coming back because that would be a bonus, but they have Humphrey. I think Chris Westry is going to be a good player, but Jimmy Smith and, and, and Marcus Peters will probably not be, play, not be Ravens next year, and they're going to figure, they have to figure out how they replace those two. Um, and, and they've got, they've got options. Uh, Tavon Young now is, is another guy who likely will not continue to play with the Ravens at his current salary, but he might be back under some sort of deal. Uh, next year and uh, and they have all the guys one of the great things about Tavon is that he's been healthy the whole year and that's really yeah. been a been a positive for the Ravens and as much as you 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 know people are maybe are not completely excited by Tavon Young's play and I think that's really kind of a bad look at it the Ravens don't have another slot corner that they that they really trust at this point right yeah and I, I'm just from a human standpoint I'm just happy for him have, mm-hmm. having gone through so much that he's healthy and, you know, obviously they're going to draft a lot. And I think uh, there's some really good, you know, we talked about it defensive back wise. They, they don't, they need corner more than safety, but there are going to be some good safeties. One particular is uh, Daxon Hill from Michigan, who is the brother of Justice Hill, which hmm. ironically, Justice may not be with the Ravens, depending on what go. they want to do. So, um, but, you know, that's, something to look for um wash university of washington um always has good defensive backs and corners uh, specifically tcu as well seems to always have good ones so um that's going to be an option um there's another um the name's escaping me right now but there's an an edge rusher from oklahoma that i i think is going to be uh probably a second or third rounder so yeah, we we, we got we got to leave the draft yeah. for a later time Sorry. in terms of all the specific draft, players. Yeah, but um, yeah, I found I found one interesting one from PL underscore Bridge that asked, "Do you think there's going to be a change at either coordinator, OC or DC?" Uh, short answer for me is, I think DC, yes, not obviously because of firing, but I think Wink has a good job, good chance to take the Jacksonville head coaching job because of uh, Joe Cullen and Zach Orr are already there. And um, if you need good character guys, Wink's the guy. That is a uh, That would be the right reason to lose him. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I, I really hope the Ravens don't lose him. He's a, he's a, I think he's an extremely valuable. I think, frankly, both coordinators are, are, are very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, always, I, I get a little irked by fans who think they know better about <laughs> yeah. coordinators in particular and, 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 you know, blaming things on play calling when a lot of times it just is the athletes, you know, it just, it just comes down to the horses mm-hmm. in some situations. And it seems like there's, there's a, a an over influence of blaming coordinators for things. These guys have proven at, they, they've coordinated at a very high level with good talent. In fact, I think Wink's 2019 season with a very mediocre defense had to be rebuilt on the fly is nothing short of amazing. Yeah. In, in 2018, he had a great defense. 
and they played very well. They played at an extremely high level, and that was good. But but his 2019 job was just amazing, and I, I I wouldn't replace him. I wouldn't even think about replacing him. Yeah, and I think you know we it was mostly really only Flacco, but we saw how he had to handle uh, kind of a rotating door of of coordinators and how. That didn't it seemed work, like yeah. they were okay, but you don't, especially young guys, Lamar still, obviously, as much as he's done, he's so young. You don't want to make a change if you don't absolutely have to. And Ravens fans might not like it. His name's Greg Roman. Sorry, I was yeah. blanking. Yeah. He's a very good coordinator. And mm-hmm. sorry if you don't like it, but you don't want Lamar to have to learn a whole new system. And, and I wouldn't want to change the system period, given the personnel the Ravens have next year. So they'll have a healthy Lamar in theory. They'll have a healthy J.K. Dobbins. They'll have Gus Edwards. Those guys complement Lamar very well. You know, it's it's much to me, it's much more important to get the offensive tackle situation figured out. I mean, I'm even OK. I think the interior offensive line is pretty damn good. I think it's tackle that they need to figure out. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Do you got think one we more have question here? More? Okay. Yeah, I I, I, I've got, uh, let's take this from Eric Clark at greatness calls. That's a great handle. Um, Isaiah Mack, good game or just the right place at the right time. I, I'm going to go ahead and say both. I certainly had a great game. Uh, certainly in, in the right place at the right time to get opportunity in terms of snaps. And I think, you know, we saw a little bit of a, the ugly duckling became a swan in this last game because he looks like a devastatingly quick three tech to me and not a nose tackle. Uh, you know, he's a guy. That, I mean, maybe there's a you know a modern nose position where you get him in as a one tech uh, on obvious passing downs, but just to get him always a one on one matchup against a guard as a three tech that seems to be right in his wheelhouse. I think so too. And <clears throat> actually, I'm going to try to stall while I look up Brandon Williams' uh, cap situation because well, he's, that, he's not he's not signed for next year. Yeah. So okay then. So. Great game and right place, right time, because Frank Williams <laughs> obviously was, was playing. But, look, I'm not saying he's going to take over. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting when you talk about the Ravens are always tight against the cap. It's not a bad thing for Mac, And I, he was a pretty uh, recent elevation, too, if I'm not mistaken. So the, the threshold for the expectation for guys like that, I think, is generally low. And for someone to say... Okay, it doesn't matter if you're just calling me up. I'm ready to play. Let's go. You got to think that that did wonders for his future, whether with the Ravens or not. And you know, if the Ravens can't keep him on the roster going forward, and one tape is sometimes all you need. Uh, he's he's a third year player this year, which a lot of people like will think, oh well, he's a rookie. We have him for three more years, but he's actually an RFA next year. Mm-hmm. So the Ravens will have to tender him and give him some money and or or just sign him and try to figure it out. But uh, but they'll 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 do something, I think, to try and keep him. They may try and sign him for two years. They may try and sign him for just one and a, and a, a, a kind of a prove it deal. But I think they will uh, they will figure out some way to keep Mac in house because this team needs to rebuild that defensive line. I mean, they, they're going to lose Campbell. I, I, I don't expect them to be able to compete for him monetarily. Um, they might bring Williams back on some sort of a low budget deal, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Williams retires. He's had a you know a number of injuries over the years where he he, he probably could just decide this is it for him. Um, and and uh, you know Wolf, we don't know if he'll be back or not. And and now 
the Ravens' older defensive linemen have basically all been cleared out. The, they don't have a lot in terms of young players, Matabike and Washington. And the thing about adding Mac to Matabike and Washington is all three of those guys are natural three techs. They're not nose guys. So mm-hmm. the Ravens need big guys to, to, hand, to handle that one tech spot and, and play opposite these three techs who all seem to have some quickness and some athleticism. Jordan Davis from Georgia. Hello. All right. But we'll All see. right. That'd be a good one. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike, thanks so much for coming on. Always a great t- discussion with football about you. I appreciate your coaching background and what you bring to this in terms of, of talking about some of the psychology of the game that, that from your perspective and whatnot and, and uh, some of the technique stuff as well. Tell people where they can find your work or, or whatever you might be doing or just have a football conversation with you. Sure. Well, Ken, first of all, I appreciate you having me and inviting me. It's, it's, the feeling's mutual. I always come away uh, much smarter after having a conversation with you. Uh, so people can uh, talk football with me. Follow me on Twitter at MikeFastNFL. And uh, keep in touch with me uh, on the draft, coaching, uh, or just being a fan. And then also you can find my writing on Baltimore Sports and Life. That's BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. We'll have a couple of Ravens pieces each week. It's a real nice community over there at BSL. Give them a give them a chance. We uh, appreciate them, uh, partner with them in kind of an offhand way in terms of using the same platform here. Uh, mm-hmm. And and we like their writers, Jordan Coe and and Gabe Ferguson from over there, have, mm-hmm. are big contributors uh, in terms of filmstudybaltimore.com too. So uh, much appreciated. Uh, other folks out there, if you want to do a 25 years episode, give me your idea real soon because we're about to hit the cutoff on this. Narrow idea on something from Ravens history that you'd like to talk about that we can do in about 20 to 25 minutes. Mike, love to hear from you on that if you want to mm-hmm. if you want to put something in. Uh, just uh, I want to say how think, Tucker, think Tucker. about it. <laughs> OK, something with Justin Tucker. I can All feel right. it. We had we had one on Justin Tucker's transition, but there's there's uh, Tucker is a he's a complex individual. It's kind of like doing yeah. a doing a movie about Howard Hughes. It would be it would be too it's too much too little for one movie. You need about seven. Yeah, fair so, enough. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Anyway, Mike, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.